0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Peter. We've been in this series called Habits of the Holy, talking about what it means to be holy as he is holy. And here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. This is our main text for the series. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, he says. But as he who has called you is holy, as the Lord is holy, you also be holy. In all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am Holy. My big idea for this series has been simply this. God has called you and I to be holy because he is holy. Now, for some of you, that word holy or holiness might seem like a a real heavy word. It might seem like a real religious word, but I want to kind of debunk some of that today. And I want to encourage all of us to come into a relationship with Jesus where the blood of Christ cleanses us from all wrong, forgives us of every sin so that we can be holy as he is holy. How I many are thankful for the cross? How I many thankful for Jesus? Thankful for the work that God has done? Because without the work of the cross and without grace, come on, none of us qualify for this. But because of the work of the cross, because of God's work of grace in our lives, every single one of us in this room today qualifies for this reality. This is not the reality of the professional. This is not the reality of the religious. This is not the reality of the perfect. How many are thankful for that? This guy is thankful for that. So holiness is is really about being set apart. It's about God's divine imprint upon your life, the moment that he places his spirit within you. Last week we talked about the spirit and we talked about truth. And being holy is about being formed to look more and more like the image of the Son. We've been in this series called Habits of the Holy looking at seven practices or habits of what it means to be formed by the Spirit to look more and more like Jesus. As I said at the beginning of this year, our vision for this year is digging deep with Jesus. It's going deeper into the vine. It's learning how to abide and remain with Christ Jesus so that we can become transformed in all that we do. The outworking of the Holy Spirit and his grace in your life should be a changed and transformed life. One of the reasons I think that people struggle with Christians and with Christianity is because we profess something that hasn't yet really grabbed a hold of us and changed us. We believe in something that we haven't yet practiced, and as a result, we look like the world, we smell like the world, we taste like the world, and then people wonder why they should follow our God. right? But the invitation from Christ for all of us is to be holy as he is holy. And that can only happen by way of the spirit and, the way of, and by way of the grace. By way of grace. How many are thankful for grace? Come on. Grace is the empowering presence of God, the undeserved, unmerited favor of God on your life. And it's not just pardon for sin, it's empowering presence to do what the truth demands of you. Many of us are thankful for the pardoning grace of God that pardons us from sin. Right, that cleanses us from every wrongdoing, that removes our iniquity and our transgressions as far as the East is from the West. We believe that. But grace is a two-sided coin. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is his empowering presence in your life to actually change, to actually be transformed. And that's what we're after in this series is, Pastor Jason, how do we live a transformed life? Well, I would say it's very simple. By way of what you practice. Because there is no formation without Repetition. Say it with me. There's no formation without repetition, meaning the things that you do, your practices, your habits are the things that shape your life. That's why it's so important that we understand this calling as a people is not just to profess things and declare things, but it's to actually live them out. And so we've been looking at kind of seven distinct ways that we as a church want to live this out We call them our core values. I did a series years ago on this called the seven. These are the seven distinct core values that we have as a church. And they're not aspirational, meaning they're not just things that we aspire to be. They're actual things that we apply and do. And there's seven things that actually shape us. So today we're talking about the third thing or the third habit, and it's called worship and presence. Worship and presence. What I'm calling experiencing God through your holy devotion through your holy devotion. As a church, our most important, and I would say probably most central core value is this, a life fully devoted to Jesus. All of these habits and all of our core values, you guys, are not ranked in, in matter of importance, but I would say that this one is. This is the most important one, a life fully devoted to Jesus. Devotion if we're on this subject, is all about what you're inwardly committed and loyal to. And it leads to how you outwardly express your worship, devotion and worship. As the people of God, our chief priority, you could say, our our main goal when we come together is to worship the Lord and to value his presence, to value who he is, to value his person, his character, the way he expresses his life among us. This is also meant to be central in how we conduct or even arrange or order our lives. Okay. So this means Jesus shouldn't be peripheral to our life. Jesus should be right at the center of it. Jesus at the center of it all. There was a song that came out years ago that I used to lead. I love that song. His character, his personality, his presence, his ministry, his works, right smack dab in the middle of everything that we do. That's the calling you guys is to keep Jesus at the center of it all. So today I want to talk about how we can keep Jesus at the center of it all through the holy habit and practice of worship and presence. Say it with me, worship and presence. A couple words of caution for those of you that are new to us. When we talk about worship and presence, sometimes it can be really easy for us, and especially as communicators, to talk about these terms in empirical ways or scientific ways or observational ways, right? Whereas if we're like on the outside looking in. But God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to experience them, He wants us to enter into them. The invitation from God is to experience who He is as a person, not as somebody that we study under a microscope. And it could be really easy for us to divert into theological systems and interpretations and ways of looking at God and trying to wrap our head around God. But how many of you guys know God ain't gonna fit inside your box? As much as you and I try to put him in a box, he just ain't gonna stay there. So, we don't wanna do that today. We wanna enter into this experientially and relationally because God wants us to relate to him as a person, which means he wants to be understood by our minds and our emotions. Say it with me, our mind and our emotions. Your thoughts and your feelings. He wants both of those things engaged in worship. Now, I recognize when we get into the realm of feelings and emotions, this can be tricky for some of us, especially those of us who typically and primarily only relate to God with our intellect and reason. How many of you guys would, would raise your hand and say, Pastor Jason, I'm one of those guys. I'm an intellect and reason individual. I'm a thinker. I, I'm all about the mind. I'm all about systems. I'm all about processes, right? Yeah, there's, there's many of you, including myself, that, that would relate to God that way. But here's what I would say. Don't Merely limit God to the box of your reason and your thoughts and your intellect, meaning don't be selectively supernatural. For some of us, we're okay with the supernatural to a point. We're like, all right, we're good with the cross and with Jesus. But after that, everything else is off limits. Can I tell you guys, there's so much more for us on the other side of the cross than there was waiting for us before. There's so much more on this side of the cross for you as a believer in Christ in which the Spirit of God dwells and makes his home and habitation. If, if, it's a big conditional if, if you'd be willing to let go of some control and be open and willing for the Lord to speak to you. God, as I mentioned, likes to do things that often blow up our boxes. Look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was somebody who thought he had God figured out, thought he had God in a box, right? He was Saul on the road to Damascus, and what, ha- and what happened? God burst his box. <laughs> he blinded him, and he brought him into a fuller revelation of who Jesus Christ was, who he was persecuting. He goes, who are you? And he goes, I am the Lord, the one that you're persecuting. Sometimes we can be casual persecutors of the God we serve when we limit God to the boxes and confines of our intellect, reason, and thoughts. So be careful today. For those of you that find yourself on the other side of the spectrum, where you're overly feely and overly emotional. How many touchy-feely, overly emotional folks do we got in the room today? All right. Actually, it seems like there's more of you, which is, which is good. Which is good. You're, you're in a safe place. We welcome your mood swings. We welcome your emotions. Bring it. You're welcome. But... Be careful that you don't also limit God to the box of your senses, right? To what you can feel and sense and touch. He often likes to move in ways that are not always measured by what we can feel. That's why I tell our worship team this all the time. Jen can, can vouch for this. I, I say, we are called to be not just a people of feelings, but a people of faith. Because we walk not by what? Sight. We, we walk not by what we can sense and see and feel and touch and taste. We walk by Faith. So be careful that you're not always limiting God based to what you feel. And I'm thankful because there's been times where I've stepped into moments and atmospheres of worship where I couldn't feel anything, but I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit was moving. I'm thankful that God was working, that God was doing things behind the scenes, that he was orchestrating change. And that's our, our heart and prayer for you each and every week as we gather that God would move and do things in your life that sometimes can't always be felt. So here's the bottom line. Sometimes your thoughts and your intellect and your reason and your emotions and your feelings are gonna be wrong. They're not gonna be the best indicators. How many have found that to be true? That your thoughts and feelings aren't always the best indicator of what's true in your life, okay? And sometimes they're not gonna be the best indicator of what God wants to do in worship and presence. We're talking about worship and presence, experiencing God through holy devotion, So I wanna say this right at the start, at Creative Church, we are a people that are passionate about worship. We're passionate about worship because we're passionate about the person that we're worshiping. Jesus is the object of our worship. We don't worship worship. We don't worship music. These are just tools and, and mediums through which we can express our worship. But how many of you guys know that music's not the only means of worship? You can worship God with your time, with the way that you manage your schedule and your money, your resources, right, your treasure. You can also worship the Lord with your talents, with the gifts that God has given you. There are so many ways that we can worship him and even with our work. The Bible says that we can do all things as work unto the Lord, meaning even if you don't like your job, it can still be worship. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm thankful. (laughs) This too shall pass. (laughs) Worship your way through whatever you're in and watch the Lord show up in the midst of it. So worship is powerful. We want to be a people that are passionate about worship. We believe that when we come together in corporate worship, which is what we've done today, and I I salute you, and I commend you, and I applaud you right now. Because I believe that we're living in a day and age and in a cultural moment where we can no longer live our lives on the margins. We can no longer take for granted the time that we spend investing in the things that are eternal meaning we got to get serious about God. And I'm thankful that all of you have done that today by showing up and by entering in and participating in holy worship with us as a church. It's powerful. And we do this not just to go through the motions or to sing a few songs. I love songs, but we do this because we want to have a holy encounter with a holy God. That's what our hearts burn for. That's what the church has always been about. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning, when God placed his stamp upon the people of Israel, when he chose Jacob and he chose Isaac and he chose Abraham and he said, through your line, I'm gonna bring forth a nation. That nation was born out of the heart of God so that that nation could be holy, set apart, distinct and separate from all other nations, why? So that that nation could then go out into the world and bring God's heart to them the Bible says in Isaiah, to be a light to the Gentiles. So the heartbeat of God has always been that holiness would be something that shapes you and grips you and defines you so that you could then take it to other people and watch them come alive in it. And that's what we want to see happen as a church. We see an example of this in Exodus. Going back to the beginning, as I said, in chapter 20, verses 2 through 6, Here's what it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods besides me. No other gods. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. That's kind of an interesting thought. (laughs) The water under the earth. Verse five, you shall not bow down. The word here for bow down is worship. You shall not worship them. Or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Say, jealous God. God. He's a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who love me. No, of those who hate me, he says. But showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and who keep my commandments. See, right at the outset of the Ten Commandments here, by the way, this is part of the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you know that. Right at the outset of this is this statement about worship. God, at the very start, is like, I want to center your souls in what it means to worship me alone. Why? Because he is a jealous God. Now, when some of you hear that word jealousy, you might think of God as like a jealous bully but I'd rather you actually think about him as a jealous lover. Can I be honest with you? I love my wife. I'm jealous for my wife. I don't wanna share my wife with another man, right? Women, you don't wanna share your men with other women, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> Stay with me. That's a good thing. <laughs> I know we live in a culture now, and it's crazy to think that polyamory and all those other things have become so popular and are becoming popularized and, and soon to be legalized. It's, it's insane to think that way, but I'm a jealous lover of my wife. I have jealous affections for her heart. I, I'm not just jealous for her. I'm, I'm jealous to protect her. I'm jealous to, to treasure her. I'm jealous to pour my love and my affection on her because she's mine and I am hers. We're in covenant. And I realize and recognize, and this is not to to put any blame, shame, or condemnation on anybody that's gone through divorce. Listen, we have friends and family in our life that have gone through divorce and have come out the other side and found hope and healing and new relationships, and God has done redemptive, restorative things, okay? So hear my heart when I say this. But come on, God is really jealous for covenant. And he's jealous for the covenant that you enter into. So marriage is not just about your feelings. It's not just about your likes and your preferences, How many of you got married and then realized the person you got married to was completely different than you? How many of you thought though that before marriage you guys were like all the same? Like, oh my, I met my soulmate and she's just like me. I remember Candice and I, when we first met 21 years ago, we went home and we said to our, our brother and our sister, I, I met somebody and she's just like me. And he's just like me. He likes all the things I like and she likes all the things I like. And we have the same tastes and musical preferences and we like the same food and we wanna to go to the same places. And all those things are well and good, but come on. How many of you guys know once the honeymoon's over and fire begins to fall and the stuff hits the fan, you realize that you married somebody who was entirely different than you. Some of you are like, yeah, that happened day two. (laughs) Marriage is not about happiness, it's about holiness. Marriage is not about happiness, it's about holiness. It's about God using his covenant, which he is jealous of and jealous over, to form you to look more like Jesus. The, the, The beautiful thing about marriage, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I want to point this out to some of you that are single or maybe getting ready to to enter into a committed relationship, is there's a difference between commitment and covenant. Because when you and I come together and make a commitment to each other, how many of you guys know we're going to fail? How many have had spouses who have failed in their commitment to you? Yeah, quite a few of you, right? Come on, every hand, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We got to do some marital counseling today? What's the deal here? (laughs) There's a difference between commitment and covenant because covenant is something that God enters into with you. The only reason that I'm standing before you today, a married man, is because God is in covenant with Candace and I. He's the third person in the relationship, amen? And when you go through the stuff, and you will for those of you that are newly married, for those of you that are that have been married for a while, when you go through it, you're gonna be thankful that the Lord sustains you and the Lord brings you through moments when you don't feel like being in covenant with the other person or even committed to them. So the Lord is jealous. He, he is a jealous lover. He's not a jealous bully, okay? So some of you that had jealous bullies or people that, that got mad and that were, you know, they were jealous of you and so they got abusive or they acted out. Listen, that's not the kind of jealousy I'm talking about. I'm talking about a holy, fiery fervency for your heart. And that's what the Lord is calling us to as a church. I really believe this. God is jealous for your affection and He's jealous for your love. And it's a good thing because He doesn't take too kindly to those that would seek to use you or abuse you or take advantage of you. Why does He do this, you guys? Because he loves us, because he loves us. And because he loves us, he wants to protect us from being drawn and seduced into the arms of another lover, i.e. the world, i.e. idols, i.e. whatever you want to put in that blank. I want you to listen to this statement in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23. Here's what it says. Take care, in other words, be careful, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make a carved image or give yourself over to an idol for the the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Say it with me, consuming fire. He's a consuming fire, a jealous God. He's not just a jealous lover. He's a consuming fire. For some of us, you know, we need, to re- we need to, I think, recapture a, a, a more biblical understanding and image of who God really is. The reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because he's treading the winepress of the fury and wrath of God who is an all-consuming fire. Make no mistake, when God puts things to rights at the end of the age, and he will, because he's a just God, this fire is going to consume. And by... The fact that, we, that he hasn't come yet is in and of itself a gift and act of mercy because our God is an all-consuming fire, meaning there's nothing that's ultimately not gonna be tested through flame. That's why he tells us in the New Testament, for those of you that are acquainted with it, be careful how you built because at the end of the age, even all of the works of your hand, the things that you've labored over, the things that you've invested in, all that's gonna be tested through what? Through fire. And what remains is going to be rewarded. See, there's a reward that comes from allowing God, who is an all-consuming fire, to test us. And for those of you that are in Christ Jesus, that happens not at the end of the age, that happens here and now. The invitation for us here and now is to to enter into covenant with a jealous, holy, all-consuming fire God who wants to purge and refine some areas of our life. You guys ever seen gold refined? You ever seen the process that gold has to be taken through in order to remove the impurities? The fire and the heat and the temperature has to be turned way up. Some of you are like, I don't understand why God hates me. I don't understand why I'm suffering. I don't understand why I'm going through all this. Listen, friend, you're just going through the fire. You're going through the the flame. You're, You're being purged and you're being purified so that at the end of the age, what you've given yourself to can remain. Welcome it. Welcome it. Don't run from it. Don't put it off, but welcome it. Because as much as it might hurt, sometimes it does, come on. It's for your good. Everything that God either orchestrates or allows, there's a difference. Not everything that's bad that happens in your life is something God has orchestrated, meaning it's not his hand doing it. But oftentimes he'll allow it so that it can refine you and shape you and purge you and heal you and consume the parts of you that are still about you so that what remains is him. John said it this way, "'May I decrease so that the Lord may increase.'" And that's what happens when we come into worship. We're getting low. We're we're bowing down. The the act of of worship in the Old Testament all throughout the New Testament, the word is proskuneo in the Greek, and it means to literally, to fall prostrate before the Lord and to to get low. I wonder, why would the Lord ask us to get low? Why would the call be to bow down and worship and serve only him? Can I tell you? Because he's an all-consuming, holy, glorious God. The word glory in the Greek is the word doxin. it means weight. When we say that God is glorious, we're saying he's weighty. We're saying there's something heavy about his presence and not heavy in a, in a crushing way, but, but heavy in a, in a holy way, heavy in a consuming way, heavy in a way that causes you to want to get low before him, to, to fall down and worship him. See, the the truth is this. You and I were created for worship. We live in a culture that tells us otherwise, where we're being conditioned and shaped to become our own gods and rule our own kingdoms and worship our own idols and images that we carve and create, whether it's money, fame, sex, power, you, you name it. But the truth is we were created. We're not the creators, Everything that comes to us that's good in life is because of God's hand. Would you guys agree? The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So the truth is, even what we have that's good in our life is not from us. For those of you that work really hard to to try to create your own life, can I just give you some liberating advice? Your life is not your own. And the good things that you've worked hard for are because of the grace of God in your life. Some of you are like, no, but I've pulled myself up by the bootstraps, and I've done this, and I've done that. Listen, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. Every good and perfect gift, every good thing, every grace, even the moments of suffering and pain and turmoil have a purpose, and God uses those things to refine you and to redeem you and to transform you into the image of the Son. So when we talk about the practice of worship, we're talking about something that's transforming us because what you behold, you will become. So today we sang a song, Behold Him. We want to behold Jesus. We want Jesus to be the centerpiece of our affection and our focus because as we behold him, we become like him. As you behold the world, as you behold adultery, as you behold idolatry, as you behold sin, you become seduced and drawn more into its arms, and you become more and more like the thing that you enter into, physically, sexually, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. Did I name all five? But as you behold Jesus, that's why he says, put your eyes on things that are above, not things of earth. This stuff is all passing away, you guys. How many of you guys have, know that? And I'm just gonna get real, is that okay? How many of you guys know that you can have all the sex in the world and it's never gonna satisfy? How many know you can eat all the steaks in the world and it ain't gonna satisfy? You can drink all the whiskey in the world and it ain't gonna satisfy. You can make all the money in the world and it ain't gonna satisfy. Why? It was never meant to. That's so why we're fasting, because we're we're trying to remind our souls that we will not live on bread alone, on substance alone, on income alone, on our works alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We were created for this. We are created for worship. So when we enter into worship, we do so as a people that recognize that we've repented, we've turned away from that, and we've turned toward the Father, we've got our eyes on the Son, we're running our race, we're casting off the snares that so easily entangle us, and we're running to win because we're being formed and created and shaped into something that we were always supposed to look like. The Edenic back in Eden, that Edenic promise is what God is restoring us to. He's making all things new. He's reconciling all things unto his heart, including the whole world. And so all the things that tend to drag us down and pull us down are the things that he's calling us to cast off. Why? Because he's holy and he's calling us to walk in holiness. And the good news is what he calls you to, he also gives you grace to do. Worship and presence. Worship and presence. We worship an all-consuming fire, which is why he tells us to remember our covenant. He says, remember the covenant, you guys keep your eyes on the covenant. That should cause us to go, okay, (laughs) we better take that seriously. Those that don't have covenant with him, the Bible says, and it's very clear, it's very clear that they'll be consumed and destroyed. You might say, but Jason, aren't we under the blood? Aren't we the people of a new covenant of grace? Aren't we protected from the wrath to come because of what Jesus has done? My answer is yes, yes, we are, yes, we are. But for those that trample the covenant, For those that don't walk in the fear of the Lord, who disregard him, who practice idolatry, who refuse to repent and turn to the truth, listen to what the New Testament says about it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of what? Judgment. And what is that judgment? It's a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Some of you are like, Oh, well, I can I've got grace, so I can just do whatever the heck I want. No, you can't. Paul is very clear grace is not a license to sin. Come on, somebody. It's a calling to holiness. It's a calling to covenant. It's a calling to keep our eyes transfixed and focused on the one who has laid his life down so that we could walk in this reality and know this freedom. And my concern for for many of us, for those of you that have things that you've been holding on to that you're just not ready to part with yet, My concern is not that you would be caught up in them, but that you would allow yourself to be seduced into believing that you can remain in them. Hebrews is pretty clear here. This isn't about having a moment of weakness, making a temporary mistake. This is about the deliberate and ongoing practice. We're talking about habits and practices. The ongoing practice of the very things that are gonna bring about the fury and fire of God in judgment, Remember, he's an all-consuming fire. Colossians chapter three, verses five through 10, encourages us, therefore, to put to death whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, looking at your friend's life on Instagram and wishing you had it, which is idolatry. On account of these, what? The wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked, previous tense, when you were living in them, But here's what he says in verse 8, but now, church, beloved, bride, people of God, children of the Lord, you must put those things away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Don't lie to your boss when you overslept your alarm and just said you had run into traffic on the way. Come on, seeing that you have put off the old self. I'm just listing my stuff, you guys. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, with its habits, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. See, the good news is that God doesn't call you to put down anything that's good for you. He calls you to put away and to put off and to put down the things that are destroying you. It's so funny to me when people get upset about this. They they don't understand. No, God wants your life to flourish. He wants you to look like the person he created you to be, full of life and passion and dreams and hope and restoration. He wants you to walk in freedom from addictions and bondage and slavery. And if you read this Bible from cover to cover, that's all he's doing. He's trying to help you find life. But he can't force you to do it. That's why he says, you must put them away. And then Galatians, Paul, speaking to the Galatians, goes on to add to the list. Chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, witchcraft, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I'm really glad that he stopped the list right there. (laughs) I'm afraid to to know where where Paul's going next. (laughs) What else are you going to tell us not to do, Paul? But he's writing to the church. (laughs) People like you and me just trying to live out their lives. (sighs) Trying to keep it real today, y'all. He says this, I warn you as I've warned you before. As a father warns a child. Parents, you ever warn your children out of love, right? You're not mad at them. You're not angry with them. You, you love them. So you're like, listen, you've got to be careful here, right? That's the tone of this letter. He says, I warn you, Father warning his children, that those who do, the word those that do in the Greek, it's actually make a practice of, which I thought was interesting. So I, I added that in parentheses. Those that do who make a practice of such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't inherit it. That should be a warning to all of us. But it should also encourage us because it means if God's calling us to this, he's gonna help us live it out. Where we get frustrated is when we try to do life apart from him in our own strength, in our own flesh, and in our own attempt. The minute that I got free from this, you guys, was when I stopped trying to live for God. And I started to allow God to live in me. Some of you are like, I'm living for God. I'm trying. I'm striving I'm this. And I just keep finding myself back looking at porn. I keep finding myself l- looking at women. I just keep finding myself, you know, drinking, I keep finding myself doing all this stuff. Fill in the blank. It's because you're still trying to live for God. The invitation is to come unto Jesus in surrender. To let go. To yield your life. And allow him to begin to live it through you. And there's some ways that we do that. And we're going to talk about those in the next couple of weeks. But that's the calling from the Lord is to to allow him to live his life in you and through you. Because he loves you and he really is eager to do so. You guys, he's really eager to move in. But when he moves in, he's going to rearrange the furniture. Some of you are like, Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life. But don't touch my sofa and don't touch my lazy boy. Jesus, don't touch my Netflix binging. I really like Game of Thrones, Jesus, so don't, you don't get to talk to me about that. I really like overeating, so you don't get to talk to me about that. So hands off the refrigerator, Jesus. I really like getting angry and throwing things across the room. So Jesus, you don't get to touch my anger problem. When he moves in, not just as Savior, but as Lord, as manager, as director of the household, He's going to move some things around. And he might throw some things out. Some of you who are emotional hoarders, <laughs> been hoarding all these things, holding on to memories and experiences and baggage, Jesus wants to throw some of that out. Some of your Versace bags that look all pretty and neat on the outside are full of dung, and Jesus wants to get rid of them. Did I paint a real enough picture? He wants all access. Can I tell you guys, I'm still learning to surrender and yield my life to him. We're all work in progress. None of us have arrived. None of us have fully done this. Because if you have, you wouldn't still be here. (laughs) God's working on all of us. And you know what I love about the Lord? He's not in a hurry. He's not pushy. He doesn't kick the door down and start lighting your couch on fire and blowing up your Netflix. And no, he, he comes in real subtly through his Holy Spirit and he begins to move in ways that are gentle and kind. It's the kindness of God that leads us to what? Repentance. It's not the ferocious, furious hand of the Lord busting down your door. How many are thankful for that? He could do it if he wanted to. For some of you, he may need to do that. <laughs> But he does so in ways that are subtle and that are kind because he's a kind father. He really is. And for some of us, this is what it boils down to. It boils down to this. We don't trust God. We really think that we're in a better position to rule and manage our lives than him. So when God says, no, I I want you to give that to me. I want you to surrender that. I want you to let go of that thing. We're like, "Mm, but do you really have my best interest at heart here, God? I don't know, I kind of like my stuff. (laughs) I love this image I saw months ago of this little girl. And she's got this little stuffed animal. Jesus is standing there and behind his back he's got this gigantic stuffed animal, this massive bear. And she's holding onto her little pint-sized teddy bear. And Jesus is going like this. He's holding out his hand, his, his gentle, loving hand. And he's looking into her eyes with that fiery, furious love. With eyes like flames of fire, Revelation says. And he's going, give me your stuff. And she's holding on. Oh, I don't want to give him my stuff. But what she doesn't know is that behind his back is this beautiful blessing that he's ready to give her. For some of us, we never let go. We never give God our stuff. And then we wonder why the promises that we read about and the things that we read about in this book in this text, aren't things that we're experiencing. Can I encourage you today? Can I encourage you? Let go of your stuff. Let Jesus throw some things out. Let him move things around. Let him move in and do what only he can do. It might take some time, but trust me, you'll be so thankful with the result, amen? As a church, one of the things that the Lord has so impressed upon my heart for this year is that we would not take for granted these moments we have together. And I think we live in a day and age, if I can just be real for a few moments, not that all the other moments weren't real. (laughs) We live in a day and age where we've turned our Sunday mornings into shows, and we've turned worship into performance, and we've turned things that God calls holy into things that are not. The reason I'm so moved by this, and I hope you are too, is that I really feel like we are entering into a season where the Lord is really wanting to call some of us back to the altar, back to our first love, back to the heart of worship. You guys remember that song that came out years ago? Now I'm dating myself. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about me. No. It's all about you, Jesus. And I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about me. Is it, or is it all about him? Because the Lord loves us, you guys, he wants to help us in this area to get back to making it about him. It's all about him. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.